Welcome to the We Are Next podcast, advice and insight from all over the advertising industry to help you navigate your career with confidence. I'm Natalie Kim. And I'm Brandon Solis, Integrated Strategy Director at RGA New York. And thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Natalie, and welcome to episode 54. Thank you so much for all the love around last week's one-year podcast anniversary. I received so many wonderful comments and messages, and it made the anniversary so, so special. So thank you guys so much. This week, I am actually off. Don't worry, the weekly is already gone out. The podcast I'm scheduling ahead of time, and along with some pre-scheduled tweets, We have a big family reunion like all this week for my grandmother's 90th birthday, which is quite an accomplishment. So I'm going to really try to stay focused on what's in front of me. But behind the scenes, there's a ton coming up. I'm working on a series with the help of some very special people all over the industry for current and future interns. We are working on another event in LA at the end of this month and then a big trip to New York at the beginning of September. So I really want to take this week to reset and get ready for everything that's coming up. Our guest this week is Brandon Solis, Integrated Strategy Director at RGA New York. Brandon had a very untraditional start to his career, but that hasn't stopped him from rising up very, very quickly and working in both New York and Paris. He's able to pull out and share so many learnings from his own experience. So let's get to it. Enjoy. Brandon, thanks so much for getting on Skype. On We're doing this on Memorial Day, which I think is um, pretty big of both of us. <laughs> you reached out, your background was super interesting. Um, and so I'm really excited for our conversation. I'm going to start uh, the way we usually get started, which is to talk about the way you made your way into the industry. So going back to the very beginning, can you talk about how you found advertising and made your way into your first maybe couple roles? Yeah. um, So I always like loved brands. Like I grew up in Southern California, so I was really into like hip hop and action sports and what you wore was cool and the kind of like skateboard or whatever you had made you even cooler. Um, and then I kind of like always thought myself as like a creative. Uh, so like through high school, um, everyone's trying to figure out what they could do. And then one of my guidance counselors actually put out advertising. Um, so I thought it was going to be like making print ads in skate magazines or like snowboarding magazines, which I thought would have been super cool. Um, but as I quickly learned, um, it's like more communications, there's a lot of philosophy, um, and this whole world of like marketing that I really wasn't even sure was, um, so that's kind of how I got my start in advertising or like wanting to be in advertising. But to actually get my first job in real advertising probably took me like, yeah, long after high school. <laughs> so you discovered it through this guidance counselor. You mentioned on your guest interest form that um, you didn't finish college. You don't have a college degree. Had that Has that affected you and your journey at all in both like a positive or negative way? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think like what I try to do is uh, hack the the education system. Um, So basically, like I didn't know how to apply for college. I knew college was super important. My parents pushed college as being super important. Uh, But yet we really didn't know like what the process was. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like, you know, I attended the the local university and then I just started to take classes that I felt like made sense for either what was interesting or like what I thought advertising was. So I, you know, made a first attempt at university. Um, it didn't work out after about like two or three years. And then I got a, a job in insurance, like doing like boring car insurance stuff. 
And then um, I started a few brands, um, like streetwear brands, and kind of doing a whole bunch of other, like, designing creative things. And then I really wanted to get back into, like, real advertising. So then I had a second swing in advertising um, school at university. Um, and I think I did the same thing again. It's just, like, these loans are crazy. Uh, this process is crazy. Like, I only want to know the stuff that I need to know. Mm-hmm. And I ended up just kind of stopping um, my university process just because I actually ended up getting a job in advertising. So, yeah, it, it, it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of hard work and awkward emails and phone calls and me like consistently living with like this imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, but like years and years later, I finally got into it and I, I haven't stopped since. I love that that you, like you said, you hacked your way into the industry. Obviously, like your path is definitely not a traditional one. I guess there's two. There's always like two stories that I hear overall. Like it's one, the person who like found advertising, they were like, um, they found a program, they went through the program and they got a job. It's just like on a straight and like clear path, right? And then I hear a lot of people who get in on a more untraditional way. But what I love about your story specifically is that you you made the attempts at school. Like it's not for lack of trying that you like right. went through the systems, um, but that you were able to find other ways to build your portfolio and skills enough that someone could be like, yeah, like let's give this guy a chance. Like let's hire him and that you could, you know, leave the education part behind. Cause it's not for everybody. I could I could see that, especially in like a creative industry like advertising and what we do. Right. Yeah. And like, I think there's, there's definitely two types of people. Like I always say there's the ones that are like born in advertising, you know, like when they became a grown up after college and they're like 22 and they went straight into an agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's people who just like advertising kind of found them. Um, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Cause like I, I did make the attempt of like just the rigor of the education and all that stuff. But, uh, the way I, I got my way in was really through people taking a chance on me. So mm-hmm. I feel like I really owe it to <laughs> to the world and to like uh, the universe to like take chances on people because I could see how I would definitely be like a, a challenging hire. Like if I yeah. saw my resume come through today, like would I hire me? Yeah. Which is like scary <laughs> to think about. Yeah. I mean, it is a not a risk, but yeah, it's like why wouldn't you go for a candidate that is more qualified or has like a lot of internships in advertising or study completed an advertising degree versus someone who didn't, Mm -hmm. even though there is this narrative in our industry that like, we want people from different backgrounds and with different, like, uh, you know, diversity of thought and stuff like that. But it's hard, I think to, not that it's not right. It is right to, to, to want that and strive for that. But I think in action, it's, it's really hard to, um, like you said, to like look at a resume that is untraditional and be like, okay, yeah, we're going to take a chance on on that person. Um, mm-hmm. I you sort of answered my follow up question. I was going to ask too, like what it was about some of the skills or the things that you had done in the past, maybe in insurance or maybe in the brands that you created that you think like convinced your that first agency to take a chance on you. I don't know if you can like look back and like self-critique your own resume, like what in there do you think they saw? So before I would really kind of like rely back on like, oh, you know, I, you know, worked on a team that did some freelance graphic design work for Mm -hmm. this brand, or I did some social media consulting for like this other small brand, or, you know, I had my own, you know, clothing or streetwear brand that was distributed in like all these other places. Um, And with that has like a, 
I try to align the skill sets that I was just making up mm-hmm. to like what they were codified as in the industry. So I was like, oh, I have like production and copywriting and, you know, like uh, I laid out these designs or whatever. Um, and it was really the social media part that kind of got me in mm-hmm. um, into the industry at, at my like first real advertising job. Um, but actually recently I started to point back to my experience in adver- uh, in insurance. So as I was doing all these kind of like side hustle things of like starting brands and consulting, um, I was working in car insurance and like doing claims and speaking to like 20 to 30 people a day. And um, actually this recruiter I was speaking with last year, she was like, that's amazing. She was like, you were doing like one-on-one focus groups or, you know, like uh, interviews. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to kind of like flip my narrative a little bit. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I, I really think about. Like, I know people. Like, I know people in, like, a very interesting, nuanced ways. And I probably have, like, thousands of interviews under my belt. So mm-hmm. That's such a great example. I'm, like, people will, on the podcast, will will recognize this this thought because I share it so much but I'm so convinced that no matter what you've done in the past there is some through line to like what you do today it's just a matter of how you're framing it as you said and I want to come up with like a list maybe I'll do that this summer for like the weekly email or something like that come up with like a list of like side jobs or like you know like more like retail like restaurant like service like insurance like stuff like that like sales and then come up with like corresponding like skills that could be mapped like from those because they're there you just have to like dig a little deeper uh, than like what you're actually doing to find like what the value is. So I think your example is a perfect one, especially like um, I love the idea of like one-on-one focus groups um, through these calls. I want to talk a little bit, you mentioned, you know, starting with this uh, sort of cloud of imposter syndrome, which I can totally understand given kind of the way that you like got into the industry. Were there any other hurdles that you faced while you were getting your start, maybe it was something that, you know, feedback that you got in your first couple roles, um, anything that you can share and sort of how you work to, to overcome that hurdle. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I, I really knew I wanted to work in advertising, like whatever that was, uh, whatever that meant, mm-hmm. but it just seemed like the coolest thing to do because it's like, uh, applied arts, it's business. Um, it's like corporate America, but you still could wear like slippers and shorts to work. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so basically what I did was I try to come in as like a few different things. Like I actually give this advice when I do like informational interviews or I'm interviewing like a junior candidates, um, is, you know, craft your portfolio for the job that you want. Mm -hmm. So I actually had like a copywriting portfolio, an art direction portfolio and a strategy portfolio. Um, and, you know, whenever there would be a role open, it's like, like I would have applied to be a janitor. Like, you know, I really <laughs> wanted to work in the business. Um, so I would come in with the, to the interview with the corresponding portfolio. Like, oh, there's a cop, like a junior copywriting opening. I'd come in with that. Um, a junior designer, I'd come in with like a portfolio with just like logos. Mm. And it always ended up turning out to be like, they would say, you know, this is good. Like, this is okay. But um, you're just smart. Like, you're just a smart person. Like, this is a strategic book. So all of my creative portfolios were too strategic, <laughs> uh, um, which is like good feedback, or I didn't know if it was like an, a, a, just a polite way of saying you're not good enough creatively. <laughs> um, and, you know, my, sh- and then the thing is when I would interview for strategy positions, 
like I just didn't have that that rigor or that academia kind of exposure to be like a, a, a regular traditional strategist. Mm-hmm. Um, I just did air quotes there for the people on the podcast. <laughs> for <laughs> but um, so I kind of found like you know what's the niche or what's the thing that like blurs the line a little bit and how could I use that to get my foot in the door and that is how I kind of found my my entry point through like social. Yeah, that's really good advice because. I thought you were going to take it a totally different way, but when you were saying like, oh, you have like specific portfolios for different roles, which I was going to say like, because I hear students all the time be like, I'm kind of interested in this. I'm kind of interested in that. Like, I don't know what I should be applying for. And I always tell them like, yeah, like you said, like apply for the job that you want. Like, so if it's a strategy position, like don't go in with a creative portfolio, but you Mm -hmm. know, say that you also do strategy, like make it a strategy portfolio. You can mention that, oh yeah, you're creatively inclined as a strategist, but you know, make it like a strategy portfolio. But where you're saying about um, the feedback that you're getting, like that they could kind of see, <laughs> almost like see through like your yeah. like your portfolios, even though they were like, you were differentiating them to these different roles that they could, um, that it wasn't, you know, exactly like fitting the definition of what they were looking for, which is actually kind of surprising when you were saying like the strategy ones, especially that... Um, you know, didn't have the rigor. Because I would think that a strategist that had the the skills, like you're a strategist first and foremost, but you do know like in design and stuff like that. Like I think that would right. be super, super valuable. But anyways, that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I would hire you. Um, no, but, um, but I think, yeah, you're right. In terms of, I mean, just the fact that people see so many portfolios and, and resumes, you know, to, to really like find what your niche is and, and hopefully have it, align at least a little bit with what things that you are interested in. And I'm sure like mm-hmm. you going through social media, you mentioned like being super into like streetwear brands, like being from LA, like I feel like like social media has contributed so much to that. So it's not like it's these totally like separate things. Like I would hope right. that, you know, again, it would align with what you're super interested in that would come through as well, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, I, and, and that's kind of the advice I give um, as well is like, what do you want to do every day? Like, I know sometimes, you know, especially if you go through like a, a portfolio studio or like an ad school, like they, they put you in a box. Um, but you're like, you know, I don't really want to do that every day. Cause yeah. at, at the end of the day, you know, it is a job and they say like, if you do what you love, then it's not work or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's more pithy than that, but, um, it's like, you'll it's never work a day in your life or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, because there are, like, a lot of young talent, and they're like, oh, I think I'm this, but I'm also that. And I'm like, you know, I'm sure you are, um, but, like, what do you want to wake up and do every day? Yeah. And, you know, let's work on that story. Because um, I don't know if, if I would ne- was never given that feedback uh, about my portfolios or about my approach. Like, I just still might be out there, well, you know, like, yeah. uh, <laughs> with 20 different portfolios <laughs> and, like, begging. So. Yeah. So since you've started your career, you've advanced in the industry fairly quickly, um, and you mentioned that in your guest interest form. I wanted to know what you think you've done that's contributed to that rapid growth. Like, what should junior talent be putting into practice or thinking about now to help them rise up? And it took me like a long time to kind of figure it out. Like, I'm definitely humbled and appreciative of my career and my trajectory. I was like, what was I doing right? Um, because you want to be able to like, at least for me personally, like I want people to replicate as much as 
possible yeah. from the, the learnings that I have, right? And it's when I think about it, it's really just like um, I, I, I say like to be invited to the table, but like it's almost like infiltrate to get to the table. Yeah. Um, do whatever you have to do, like in a moral way, <laughs> uh, to get invited to these meetings, um, and then just add value, and you know, know when to speak up, know when you're paid to speak. Like, yeah. you know, if you have a certain role or you, um, you're known for something, like, that is why you're invited to a meeting. Yeah. Uh, but equally, also know when to shut up. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, get invited to these meetings or in, into the right rooms um, and, you know, do both of those things. But I think really kind of what's the icing on the cake is treat every one of those occurrences as an experience. Mm. So, like, I would go into a meeting, and even though if I don't say much because I'm the most junior person in the room, or if it's just, like, not within kind of the scope of what I do, um, I really think about, like, okay, this is what happened, and, you know, these people were involved, and, you know, this was the action or the output because of, like, X, Y, and Z, Mm -hmm. and by really treating it as an experience, I was able to learn faster, Um, and then to apply those things into the next situation I'd be in, and then you could start to increasingly add value over time. Yeah, it's almost like you were um, incorporating an element of self-reflection to like everything that happens. You know, I think especially when we're interns, when we first start out, there's this feeling of you're just kind of like not going with the flow, but like things are happening like to you, right? It's like, it's kind Uh of overwhelming. Like you're given some work, like you go into this meeting, you're told what to do, blah, blah, blah. But what you're saying is like each of those like experiences, if you can take a second, even like you said, if you don't have like the biggest um, role to play in the room at the moment, to really kind of think, take a few minutes to think about, okay, like what, what, what happened? Why did we have this meeting? What's the breakdown? What are their takeaways? Like who was involved? All those important things. I can see how that would very quickly teach you to understand kind of not just the inner workings of an agency and how things happen, but um, kind of, I'd be able to identify these patterns and be able to look ahead at, like you said, like, where you can add value, which was, you kind of answered my, my, my next question was going to be like, how, how can people when they're just starting out add value outside of like the role that they're tasked with? Um, and I think what you're saying is a really like a big part of that, like being able to see the bigger picture by doing this kind of like reflection and analysis as you go through. Yeah. I mean, I also think about, there's one experience I had at um, my last agency. It was like the global CSO. We we're prepping for this client meeting mm-hmm. and we're pinning up research on a board. Right. And there's like six people in the room yeah. and the CSO is the one who's pinning and everyone else is like checking emails and like on their phones or whatever. And I'm like definitely the most junior person in the room. Um, I mean, I'm not exactly getting coffees or like, you know, it's not like old school advertising, Yeah, but <laughs> I was just like, what, why is no one helping, you know, the global CSO pin up these things? And like, so I just kind of took the initiative to do it because it still has to be done. Yeah. And I pinned up and like, of course, like I was like creating a narrative as I pinned things up. Like I was making sure things were clustered together correctly. And also because I'm a neurotic, I was making sure that like the spacing between each page is perfect. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, they're all pinned down with four pins. Right. And it's just something like stupid and small like that. And then at the end of like the session, she was like, thanks, Brandon. Like, that was really helpful. Like, you know, she, like, called me out on something for, like, being helpful and contributing to, like, this overall meeting. Yeah. But it was, like, it sounds as stupid as pinning. Yeah. But, like, I was, you do, just do something, you know? I love that example. That's such a great example. Because it is, like, yeah, it's, it's small things, especially when you start out. It's, like, how can, yeah, it doesn't have to be these, like, big 
groundbreaking idea that you're bringing to the table in this meeting. Right. <laughs> it's right. like these like small gestures um, that that are helpful and help other people like do their jobs better. I think that's a really great lens to like keep in mind as people start their internships and, and look for ways yeah. to just be helpful. I think that's great. A lot of your past titles, like, you know, I creeped on your LinkedIn and saw, you know, all your experience and stuff, as I do. Um, a lot of your past titles include the word digital in some way. So I wanted to ask you whether you could explain the distinction of being a digital strategist and how that sort of evolved through either like the years or, you know, your own experience at the different agencies that you've been at, since I know, you know, it's sometimes it's treated differently at, at different mm-hmm. jobs. Yeah, I mean... I'm not a digital strategist who um, is afraid of it. Like, you know, I would work with brand planners and they would say, like, you know, when are you going to grow up and become like a real planner? <laughs> and I was like, oof, like, no, like, it's, that's not how, how it's going to work. Um, you know, we're all going to be like planners or strategists. Yeah. Um, and you're actually, you know, a named person going to become more digital than than you think Mm -hmm. and if you're not going to like it's your your days are more numbered than mine um so i think every strategist now you know has to be digital but i think like because strategy is so big and broad that everyone is like a t-shaped right Mm -hmm. um some people are just better at certain things i I always kind of go back to like when you are uh, like on the creative side you know the creative department is huge. There's not just copywriters and art directors and designers. Even within the copywriting department, there's still like different types of writers. There's people who could like just say something like really cheeky and like three words and they're funny. And there's some people who could bring you down like this emotional pathway to a manifesto video and make you cry. Um, and there's some that are just like really good at like hashtags, you know? And like just because you're a copywriter doesn't mean you're like all of those things or just one of those things. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that is going to kind of happen um, on the strategy side. So I think there's everyone's just going to be a strategist, but then there's some people who are great at like qual and quant or just one of those. Mm-hmm. And there's some who could read like a business situation and be like a consultant to the client. Um, some are going to be just like the advocate for like people and, you know, humanity. And um, some are just going to be great at like UX. Yeah. So like I, I think digital is just kind of like a – a blanket you know that covers everything um but i think more everyone's gonna become digital and then you know everyone's just gonna have their own type of strengths mm-hmm. it kind of goes back to what you're saying about finding something that you really love because yeah you have to as a strategist i think you have to have a base understanding like the, the t part the top of the t of right. you know uh, of things like um especially these days like business strategy or like ux and um you know, data to a certain extent, even if you're not a numbers person, you understand like why it's important or like how we use it and stuff, even right. if you're not like crunching Excel sheets. Um, but if you can identify what is it that, what is the specific thing within strategy even that I like get super excited about, like you said before, like what do I want to do every day when I get up and not get tired of or feel like work and then right. like really d- dive deep into that to, to make like the base of the T. Um, so... I, I always think the the digital moniker is so. I mean, now I think it's like totally unnecessary <laughs> that we that we even call it like a dis, like distinguish it from something. And I know when I, I've told the story before, like when I was starting out, which was like a long time ago. Um, like a lot of the, some of the feedback that I, cause I started more in traditional brand planning, and some of the feedback that I got, especially when I first moved to New York, was like, oh, you don't have 
like like enough experience in like digital strategy and I I, if I had known what I know now, I would have asked. I would have been like, can you tell me what you think that means? Because right. like, I understand like how to like use a website and like social media. Like, well, tell me what it is. And I know how to like do like the strategy parts of like understanding consumer, brand, blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm happy to like meld the tool too, even if I haven't like done it in the past. You know what I mean? It was just mm-hmm. like this weird. And I had, it's like, I've built websites before. Like, I don't know what you're looking for. But so whenever I tell students, if, if people get that feedback, I'm like, yeah, like ask them what exactly they mean. Because like, like you said, like digital is just like, it's everything now. So like, right. why, I don't understand why there would be a distinction. Yeah, like, tell me what you need, and then, like, I could tell you if I could do it. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You recently spent a year in Paris as Global Digital Strategy Director at McCann. That was a mouthful. Um, I wanted yeah. to know what it was like working in advertising abroad, and what kind of took you there, what brought you back, etc. Um, yeah, I mean, so I was working on uh, L'Oreal Paris when I was here in New York, and um, our agency, the agency, you know, like, there's an opportunity to go work in the, the mothership. Yeah. Um, and like, as like the biggest beauty brand, at, like at mass, I was like, yeah, you know what? That sounds pretty awesome. And then it's in Paris. So like, that doesn't sound like a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, and so I took the opportunity. Like it, it, I would have been really upset at myself if I didn't. And then like 10 years from now, I'll be like, you know what? If remember that opportunity where, you know, your agency was going to pay for you to like move and, <laughs> support you and all this stuff like and you didn't take it um so it was just one of those moments in life where it's like you would be stupid to not do it yeah um so i was lucky enough to have that opportunity and it was it was awesome i mean i think the, the my biggest takeaway from it is like there's definitely more than one way to do something yeah um and it's not a good thing or a bad thing it's just different um and you know really kind of getting my skills here in New York, I think like, this is the way to do it. This is the only way to do it. Um, but when you're working out there, you're like, you have to respect the process. That's not exactly the same as yours. You have to respect the ebb and flow. Um, but after that time, you know, I, I kind of like did the math and like net net, it's like the same output, you know, you do probably like the exact same amount of stuff, the exact same types of things. Um, but it's just like the way to get there is just completely different. Mm-hmm. So that, that's definitely a huge, huge learning experience for me. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a challenging client. And there's a, a culture there that um, makes it that way. Yeah. But it's also like it's it's also the part of the engine that makes it a successful company. Totally. Um, but like after just a little bit of that, I, you know, I was like, I need to come back. I need to come back to America. I, I think there is like um, – in New York, especially, like if international is interesting, but only to a certain extent. Yeah. Like if you're looking at a resume, it's like because you know us, you know, in, in the U.S., especially in New York, like no one does it as good as us. So <laughs> yeah. like you could be a rock star somewhere else, and then you're like, oh, but you're probably not as good as like same title here in New York. Mm. So I was very like aware of that. I was like, okay, if I stay away for too long. Um, it, it may like diminish my value a little bit yeah. back in New York. So I was like, I, I have to come back as soon as possible. And um, yeah, so it was, it was, I think a good enough amount of time could give me that international experience to show how, how the, the world works and the exposure. But I was like, I, I can't be here for too long. Yeah. Well, and as a follow up, your new role now, I think I skipped over this in, in a past question of realizing um, your role now at RGA. Can you explain what you do as 
director of connections? Like, what does that actually mean um, <laughs> that you do do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, so it's it really like, you know, there are so many different types of planners and strategists. And the way that we look at it is that we are the, the through line. Um, you know, it's, there's like media strategy, there's like uh, comms planning, which is like slightly different than media. Yeah. There's social strategy, there's influencer strategists, there's, you know, brand planners. Um, and these are just, these are internal and external factors as well, mm-hmm. right? So, like, agencies are so fragmented from the client side, like, there's a digital agency, uh, influencer agency, um, but not everyone speaks the same language. Mm-hmm. So, like, our role is really to kind of make sure we're all on the same page um, and then to see what the implications are across the different uh, disciplines. I see. So that's what we do. So like, we're not just there to kind of like rally the right uh, players internally to make sure that we're on the right assignments. It's also so when we're working with our client or with a partner agency that like we're all kind of aligned in the same deliverable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it started pretty much from media. It's just because creative agency and media is just like, you know, they're, they're, they're foes and allies at the same time. <laughs> Um, and we're all vying for the attention of the client. So that's how kind of like that connections or comms planning type of discipline really started to, to kick off. Um, especially I think in the last few years, um, media was starting to, to win some creative, um, you know, whether it was through them or by proxy through like a publishing partner Yeah. and, you know, creative agencies don't like that. So they're trying to find a way to kind of fight for, you know, some of their, their, their work back. Um, and that's really where I kind of start to see this this opening or this emergence of this type of role or skill set. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now, like, you're starting to see a lot of comms planners. And it's not just, like, a creative agency media relationship. It really sits across, like, you know, shopper marketing and e-commerce and a whole bunch of different things. So it really is actually turning into, like, a, a weird T-shape. It's not as, yeah. like, <laughs> the, 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 the crossbar part is, is much longer than the... Uh, ascender or descender <laughs> um cool i mean and that's great i i was unfamiliar with kind of like that title like within rga and, and just the industry in general but the, the, what you're saying is clear in terms of just yeah being that through line because it is so like once naturally when something like fragments so much as a strategy has um and even like considering the role of media and media agencies as you mentioned um i can see the value in in having a role like that to really making to really make sure that everyone is on the same page and is like working towards the same business goals obviously at the end of the day um it's what we're trying to do um and even just like matt i mean i don't know how much actual like manage relationship management you do but like just the logistics of like that there are so many different um, whether it's like internally different like divisions or teams or like within sister agencies, like there's all these different yeah. players coming to the table, even just logistically to like keep track of that. I'm sure it could be a whole job in itself. Yeah. And that's what um, kind of happens is that you're, you're becoming, a, I guess it depends on the level you are, but you do become like, like an account type of person. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you still want to make that sure that, that, thinking and that message is consistent across like all the different agencies even like social media agencies like or social media platforms like because facebook has the ear of the client you know equally or more so than you know certain other partners just because the nature of the business right right um so it's like you have to be 
able to speak and understand all these languages and still like be that uh yeah i like to think we're still the advocate for the creative agency because yeah. that's where we sit yeah. um but like now we're able to kind of own more of that relationship or, or you know more of that that uh iat we're recording this at the very end of may which is asian pacific american history month i wanted to ask uh in in relation to that how your identity as a second generation asian american how it's influenced your career yeah i mean and there's like a few people like uh who who tweet this all the time and it's like you know um like visibility matters Mm -hmm. um and i i'm like uh, i do believe that and i think for me it was like how far can i go you know i didn't know I, I don't know anyone who looks like me or, or has a similar background like me that is like in a a role like two layers above me or like mm-hmm. you know at this the the global level yeah um so it's kind of frustrating right because like you know I don't wake up every day and say like oh like I am like my whatever ethnicity um I just wake up and go to work right. and but then something like subconsciously like does kind of pick at you like you'll never fit in here or you'll never make it um so I think that has kind of been a, a driver for me personally. And then like what I'm trying to do is just to be like the the beacon for, for other people. You know, if it's like you're a second generation immigrant or you don't have like this regular kind of career path or mm-hmm. if you are Asian American or Asian, um, like I want to be part of that visibility. Like you can make it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's been a little weird like – Sometimes I'll, I'll go into a room and I'm like, oh, there's like a lot of Asian people here. Like that never happens. And then um, I could go months and like realize like, oh yeah, there are no other like Asian people that I've, I've worked with like <laughs> in like all these like last projects. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think we're definitely out there, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it is a little frustrating to, to not always see like, you know, an example. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm moderating this panel at RPA in like a couple of days, actually, about like mm-hmm. for uh, APAHM um, to talk about some of the specific like hurdles and challenges and, and just to, to facilitate discussion with you know, Asian American leaders here in LA. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I've come across that's so interesting as I'm, you know, been coming up with my prompts and um, doing the research beforehand is the fact that, you know, there are all these stats about Asian Americans being not only the like fastest growing just in terms of numbers um, uh, for a, like a like fastest growing like racial group in, in the mm-hmm. States, but also you know, like highest educated, like overall, like highest median income, like compared to like the general population, like all these like really great things. But then when you look at kind of the C-suite executive level, like very like upper management, we sort of like disappear is what you're saying. Like you look a couple levels above you and like, where are people that look like me and just figuring out or trying to identify like why that is the case. Like if we are so high performing, like why don't you see more of us up there? And, you know, a lot of it is pointing to some of the cultural values that we are raised with being at mm-hmm. odds with what like American business culture really yep. um, values and, and looks for in its leaders. And, and so like a lot of the conversation that I want to drive for this, this panel and, and, you know, I can put this to you as well about, you know, what are the cultural, Asian cultural values that have actually like contributed to your success? Like we talk so much about how like, oh, we're like more deferential to like authority and like, you know, more respectful. So we don't speak up as much. That's all well and fine. But there must be some like things that are innate in us 
that like have contributed to like where you are today and like how you got there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think like the good part and the bad part, but you know, when you look at it from the outside, it looks like a good part is like the, the imposter syndrome. Yeah. It's like, you know, um, nothing's ever good enough. And then, so when people like acknowledge me or like give me a compliment or I get a raise and I'm like, like, am I really worth it? Like, am I that good? Am I good? Um, and it's kind of disgusting, but like it's, it it does actually make me work harder. Like, you know, I'm not great at taking compliments because I think like, oh, you should always get an A, right? For lack of a better example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, like, you know, people are like, I oh, don't know, it's really, we really appreciate your help. Or, you know, that was like, you had a great year. I'm like, really? Did I? Yeah. And um, it, it just makes me work harder. And, you know, for me, like, I, as much advancement or as far as I've done already, it's like, I'm still not doing enough. I'm still not good enough. Right. Um, and then that just, this vicious cycle of feeding into imposter syndrome and all that stuff is like, relentless so i'm trying to be better at like acknowledging those things yeah. like you know maybe i'm good enough you know or i don't always have to get an a or right. whatever um and kind of just being happy with like where i'm at um mm-hmm. but still don't lose lose that fire i think what you're doing too when you talked about like reaching back and trying to be a beacon for other like you know asian asian americans like coming up in the industry Mm -hmm. too i think that's a really great way to not totally over we'll never totally overcome imposter syndrome but to kind of like chip away at it a little bit like i found when like i started guest lecturing and then eventually leading to like we are next and and, you know I, i interface a lot with students and junior talent these days um, the way that they take in the information that I'm providing, that some of the learnings that come from just, you know, having these conversations and, and speaking with recruiters and stuff like that. I mean, one, they're just like so grateful and like hungry for it. But two, it does make you feel like, hey, like I do know this. It might seem like a little thing that I know, like how to give someone like, you know, interview tips or, you know, like resume right. or whatever, like little thing that, you know, I'm passing along, like one little like negative advice. And even if it's just based on like your own individual experience, like that is so valuable to someone just starting out. And I think it can help make us feel like not just Asian Americans, obviously everybody feel like a little bit more like, yeah, I kind of do know, at least based on my, on my own experience, maybe it's not everyone's experience, but uh, there is some value that I'm passing on and hopefully that'll help like strip away a little bit of the imposter syndrome uh, along the way. Yeah. And one of my old bosses told me, he's like, right now, Brandon, you're trading on a very high currency. And you know, that's the way he, he like kind of defined my skills yeah. and like my deliverables. He's like, whatever you're doing, it's like, it's worth a lot right now. And uh-huh. um, so that's how I, I started to kind of measure. I'm like, okay, even though I don't value it, but if someone else values it, that means the currency is good. Right. And that's the way the currency works, right? It's like, you know, it doesn't really mean anything until you assign or attribute a value to it. Sure. So, like, once I, I start to think of it that way, if, like, it is interview tips, right? Or, like, you know, yeah. how to build a, a cleaner deck. Like, to me, it, it may be nothing. But if, if someone is, like, puts a high value on that, you're, like, you have to respect that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I love that. That's such a good way to put it. Oh, I'm going to use that now. I'm going to like think about that now. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap up with the best piece of advice that you've ever been given, whether it's about, you know, careers or advertising or just life in general. Um, this was given to me, I think, like right when I um, like I resigned from a job and I was taking on a new job with like a, a bigger title. Yeah. And my friend, you know, my mentor is like, you'll you'll grow into the shoes you're given. 
And I was like, I have no idea what that means. But then like, <laughs> he's right. He's like, you know, you, you're going to get this role. It sounds scary and crazy, but you're going to grow into it. Um, so like, and now that's what I've been doing since then as like, you know, I've been like, okay, I'm going to take this role. I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to take this assignment. Um, and I'm going to grow into it. Like I'm going to figure it out. Like I have like belief in myself or someone else has enough belief in me when they think I could do it, then you kind of just have to do it. Um, and I'm consistently uncomfortable and like, it's, it's okay. And, um, yeah, that's just one of like my biggest like learnings. I think is like, being uncomfortable but then knowing that it's you know hopefully for the most part gonna be okay yeah um yeah those are the jobs you want to be taking the ones that you can grow into you don't want to take a job that like is like the perfect fit and your skills are like exactly matched with like you know you can do it like that would be so boring like even if you felt like i'm super confident walking in the door but yeah there's just like no growth potential then and like I mean, I feel like that's the everyone's goal is not to just feel comfortable, but to feel like you're growing and learning and advancing. Like, and I feel like that necessitates, like you said, a role that is bigger or more than you think you can take on at the at the you know day one. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, I don't think it's for everyone, <laughs> but like you know, if if that is like kind of what you're telling yourself, then like you have to live it. You have to. Because sometimes people just want to pay bills, you know, and, yeah. you know, get get a job that, like, gives them insurance or whatever. But, like, if if right now, you know, today, and you're listening to this podcast, you're like, no, I'm a go-getter or whatever other thing that you're supposed to say about yourself, like, that is the way to do it is just, just take, take it. And um, if someone else believes that you could do it, then, like, don't let that person down. Yeah. Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really enjoyed our conversation and like hearing more about your background and what you've been up to. So I really appreciate you getting involved. Yeah, of course. Um, I hope that you have an opportunity to go get some like hot dogs or barbecue. (laughs) For Memorial Memorial Day. I think we are going to try to grill something maybe tonight, maybe just at home, but yeah, we're going to try to make it work. (laughs) Where can people keep up with you? Um, Definitely, you know, find me on LinkedIn. Um, Don't, don't be afraid to like inbox me or, slide in my dms um but i do think i'm funnier on twitter so you could also follow me on twitter cool yeah also i'll get the link um up on our website as i do so people can go directly to your page and follow you awesome thank you so much again thank you that was super fun big thank you to brandon i love some of the examples that he shared especially that one about pinning things up on the wall um, with his you know strategy director such a great reminder that small things often go a long, long way. Advice is so much better shared. Leave us a review on iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. And while you're at it, check out all our resources at we-r-next.com. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. Please take time to reset during this pause between summer internships and school or work. I'm Natalie, and until next time, you got this.